Hey everyone, welcome to the Naz Church Weekly Message Podcast. Here you will listen to the preaching pastors from the Naz in Grove City, Ohio. We pray you are inspired by their teachings. We're going to be talking a little bit today about uh, perspective, perspective, seeing things from your own perspective, seeing things from others' perspective, and seeing things um, from God's perspective. It's amazing how fast um, our perspectives can shift. Uh, the things that we see, once pointed out a little differently from somebody else's angle, how we can uh, begin to understand things differently. So I'm going to share with you a little bit real quick here. I'd, I'd, just, I'd hung up the phone and walked downstairs in the dark uh, about three in the morning. And I went down, and as I got downstairs, I started to write down all the things about my dad that were so awesome. Um, as I was doing it, I, I did that because my mom and my sister had just called me and let me know that my father had passed away. So I was down writing these things, and as I was writing them down, I began to realize um, the patriarch of our family had passed away, and while I had an older sister, uh, I was now the patriarch of the family, and it, and it struck me. I mean, my father had gotten sick a number of years earlier, and I had dealt with realizing there were some transitions going on, but that night, the weight of things hit me. See, in my mind, I'd always been younger, I still am that way a lot of times. I go places, and now that I'm getting older, I forget that I'm older. I still see myself as like a college student listening to the older pastors or the older people, and so I, I wanna hear what they have to say and learn from what's going on, but I realized I'm now the patriarch of my family. There is no security blanket there anymore. There is no, it's me, right? It's all, it's all on me. And so that kind of, that kind of hit me. My perspective of life shifted, realizing I am now a patriarch. Uh, a couple years later, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, with my middle child, my oldest son, Connor, and I took him out to a restaurant. He still talks about it. It's his favorite meal ever. We went to the Palm Restaurant in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, he had turned 13. It's kind of a rite of passage in our family. Um, Brooke, uh, we went to Easton and, and went ate there. Liam and I, uh, for his 13th, we went to Ocean Prime. And in those moments, we, we, uh, we feast on fine dining and talk about perspective. And so I remember when Connor picked up the menu um, at the Palm, his eyes got huge. And he was like, you know, it wasn't like the Bob Evans Cracker Barrel menu. I mean, prices were a little bit different for the steaks. And uh, he was like... What, what can I get? I'm like, whatever you want today, buddy. Whatever you want. And as we sat down and, and we, we split a ribeye and a, uh, I got filet, he got a ribeye. And then we, we had not mashed potatoes because this was a fancy restaurant. They were whipped, whipped potatoes with goat cheese. And we still talk about all potatoes that we eat are measured against the whipped goat potato cheese <laughs> potatoes that we had that night. We finished everything off with creme brulee, and as we sat there, we talked about the fact that uh, there are some people, Connor, that eat this way every day. This is just their lifestyle. This is the way they are, and, and we don't tend to eat this way in our family, but tonight we were doing this, and we're going to talk a little bit about perspective, and we talked about him moving into being a teenager now, and that in about five years, he'd be turning 18 and what it meant to be a man and what it meant to be a man of God and how we lived that out and how we begin to think about our priorities. And we left the restaurant and we walked down the street to the 
the Stouffer Hotel, now the Renaissance Hotel, and went up to the 17th floor. I had worked there when I was in college parking people's cars, and we went up to the 27th floor and looked out over the city of Nashville, looked across the Cumberland River to First Church of the Nazarene, where I had been a pastor, and we could see what was this huge church that looked so very tiny. And looking down on all the cars and all the little tiny people walking around, and we talked about perspective and how things looked a whole lot different from up there than they did from on the ground. And so I wanna to talk to you this new year about perspective. Now I'm gonna tell you, it's gonna be a little more conversational as we talk today. Uh, there's gonna be some things that I say that are gonna sound very familiar with things that I say frequently, because uh, I'm trying to drive a point home to us that as we begin to set New Year's resolutions about money or about weight that we place, I wanna save this much money or I wanna get out of debt and pay this much off or I need to lose this many pounds or I wanna gain this much muscle or I wanna lift this amount of weight, that as we talk about numbers and figures and things, that there is a, a perspective that I want us to have that's a little bit different. And so I'm gonna teach you all some new words and I know some of y'all, it's not gonna be Greek, uh, it's not gonna be Hebrew, none of those kind of things. This is a, an English word but not one we use very often. So bear with me for just a second. Uh, the word is called ontology. Say ontology. You should feel smarter saying that. On, ontology is a, is a, is a particular uh, study of metaphysics that has to do with how we look at life. Um, how do you see life and being? And so as we look at ontology, we as Nazarenes, we as Wesleyans, as we look at life, we have what's called a relational ontology. It means I look at life, I look at meaning, I look at why we exist, I look at these things through the lens of relationship. God created us to be in relationship with us. How do we relate to him? You know, one of the, the greatest commands Jesus gives us is to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. Both of those things are extremely relational. So while we can talk about money, we can talk about houses, we can talk about all sorts of things in our life, uh, very often, bottom line, I know in many of my sermons, comes down to relationship because that's the lens through which I view the world. Now, I'm not, I'm not gonna say there aren't times where my eyes change perspective and I can get focused on different things, um, retirement or saving up money or vacations or trips or different things like that, where I can get focused on things that aren't relational or I can begin to look at all of those things through the lens of relationships. I wanna talk to you all about that for just a minute. Uh, perspective has to do with things that you, you can see, right? We just saw the dress, so um, I'm gonna take a step out of here. How many of you all saw black and blue? Okay, how many of you all saw white and gold? How many of you all feel like the other people are gaslighting you? Because there's no way that you can see <laughs> the opposite, right? Uh, Zach O'Day, when he brought the picture out, he was funny because he had seen it back on the computer screen and he had seen black and gold. And then he walked out here and looked up and he goes, did we switch the pictures? I'm like, why? He goes, it's white and, it's white and gold now. I'd seen black and blue and now it's white and gold. And we're going, no, 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 it's, it's white and gold. And somebody else is going, no, it's not, it's black and blue. Y'all are kidding with me, aren't you? Y'all are making fun. And we can get in a fight, we can start to argue and part of it's just the way that we process seeing things. You ever been around somebody that processes differently than you? Usually it's the person we marry, right? <laughs> it's like, I don't know why God does this. We process things differently. Um, just so you'll know, I didn't tell the first service this, but the actual dress was black and blue. The real dress. That doesn't mean you were right. That doesn't mean you were right. 
Because that's what it was. Because I see white and gold when I see the picture. Right? What it does is it changes our perspective. How can we begin to help someone? Have you ever, now, while you all were talking, <clears throat> how many of you all actually tried to look up after somebody told you it was different than what you thought? You looked up and you squinted. And you tried seeing the other one. How many of you did it? Be honest, right? And we squinted, and that's about as hard as we try sometimes as we're listening with other people or talking with other people about perspective. And, okay, I, I, maybe I see your perspective, kind of, sort of. And that's about as hard as we try. What I want us to do is to begin thinking about a different perspective. Talked about your perspective, talked about my perspective. Over this next month, we're gonna talk about beginning to see things from God's perspective. Is there a way that God begins to show us things? And that's difficult, because many of us begin to even hear God or listen to God through our own lenses of how we hear and perceive things, how we see things, how we understand and feel things. There are some things that happen in here that make some of you feel excited. There are some things that the very same things make somebody else feel bad. It's a matter of our perspective. So how do we shift and understand God's perspective? A few months ago, I talked to you um, out of 2 Kings chapter 6, a story of Elisha and his servants. So for those of you that weren't able to be here or aren't familiar with the scripture passage, uh, basically there's a story where the Arameans come down to a city of Dothan where a man named Elisha was. They were trying to capture him, destroy the city, and then take, uh, take them away, actually kill him. But they get there, Elisha's servant gets up and sees this army surrounding the city of Dothan, goes and gets Elisha, they come out, and as they're coming outside, Elisha prays this prayer. He says, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Uh, there are times where sometimes we see just the bad that's in front of us. We see the weakness that we have. We see the enemy that we're up against. And we don't have God's perspective that there's a whole other army that's surrounding that is there for you that's ready to fight. It's a change in our perspective. Uh, there's a story in John chapter 2 of uh, Jesus being at a wedding. It's Jesus' very first miracle that he does. It's at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It's a little, a little city there near Nazareth. And uh, what happens is, most likely, this may have been some family members of Jesus, they run out of wine at the wedding. It's a terrible thing. Jesus' mother comes to him and says, Jesus, um, they've run out of wine. And he says, it's funny, the way the, the language is translated, woman, what is that to me? My mom would have backslapped me, I think, if I'm a woman, what is that to me? Anyway, um, that's my perspective on the story. Just kidding, my mom has never smacked me. Because um, I never said woman, what are you, <laughs> anyway, it's a side note, I digress. Um, but Jesus, she tells the servants, just do whatever he says. Jesus says, go fill these water pots, they fill the water pots. They take these water pots, they take some, some from the water pots, take it to the head of ceremonies and give it to him and he drinks it and here's, here's what he says. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, and then in some of your versions there's a parenthetical thing there that says, though of course the servants knew, the master asked, why did you save the best for last? Most people do the best early on and then when people are too drunk to care, then they bring out the bad stuff because people don't care anymore. But you've saved the best for last. I've heard this story preached from the perspective of Mary, 
from the perspective of Jesus, from the perspective of the master of ceremonies, from the perspective of the servants who they knew what had happened, taking those steps of faith. It's, a different, it's the same story, just different perspectives. John chapter 4, uh, there's a miracle, a woman at a well. Uh, she's there. The, Jesus has taken his disciples into Samaritan territory. Uh, they've kind of gotten out of Judea, away from the Jews, away from those that Jesus said he was sent to preach to, to seek and to save. And now they're up in Samaritan area, kind of get away. And Samaritans, we weren't really coming to save them anyway. But Jesus ends up stuck at a well where this woman comes out. The disciples had gone to get food. And Jesus has a conversation with this woman. He's thirsty. The woman brings out this jar of water. She says, sir, do you want something to drink? And he said, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for living water. She's going, asking you for living water? You don't even have anything to get water. And he said, oh, if you knew the water I have, are you better than our ancestors, Jacob? I mean, it's crazy, the story that goes on. Here's, here's exactly how she says it. Sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Besides, you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better well water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? That well still exists today. Um, I've been up there. I've got a little, I have a little jar of water from Jacob's well from being there. It's, a, it's an awesome place. I imagine Jesus sitting there uh, talking to the woman. It says, we, we think John, his closest disciple, may have actually been there because John describes he was leaning against the well like this talking to the woman. The disciples come out and they're thinking. <laughs> in verse 27, it says, just then his disciples come back. They're shocked to find him, number one, talking to a woman. Number two, she's Samaritan. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? At the end of the story, Jesus looks out and says to them, when the woman goes back into town and comes back bringing all the villagers, there was a perspective that Samaritans weren't to be talked to, they weren't to be touched, they were to be stayed away from, they were unclean. We can't believe Jesus was talking to this woman, but as she brings out all the people from the village, Jesus changes their perspective when he says, look, the fields are now white and ready for harvest. Yeah, God wants these people for his kingdom too. Change in perspective, totally different than what they had thought or seen. Last story I've got you is the feeding of the 5,000. In all four gospels, there's five loaves, two small fish, over 5,000 men and women, plus women and children, sorry. There's probably close to 10 or 12,000 people there. And uh, in all four of the Gospels, they go looking, trying to find food. Philip comes up and says, okay, all these people, all we have is one boy's lunch with five loaves and two fish. So I know all the moms in the room are thinking, mom of the year, that would have been me. I would have given my son the five loaves and two fish that could have been used, right? Now that school starts back this next week, don't forget lunch tomorrow, okay? Make lunch for your kids. They could do a miracle. Get there and, and not only do they feed everyone, but there's 12 basketfuls left over. One for each of the disciples. To be remembered that oftentimes when we look at our lack and what we feel like we don't have, God's got way more abundance that's there. Different perspectives, different things that are going on. Uh, one of my favorite things that's happened this last couple years since our district superintendent got here, I'm not just telling this story because he's here, but it came to mind. I uh, went over to his house uh, one Friday evening and we did a little thing 
uh, together called soap. You can do this at home, soap. And we didn't take a bath, it wasn't weird like that. Um, soap stands for this, we took a passage of scripture, we just picked a passage of scripture and read it real quick. Just a little story out of the New Testament. And then we observed, we went around the room. What do you observe just as we read this? What pops out to you? Different people would share what they observed. What was neat was everybody had a different observation from a different perspective. Oh, that's neat. Well, based on the things we've just observed, what do you think we could apply to our lives? Get it? Scripture, observation, application. What, do we, what, do we, what can we apply to our lives? What's neat is often what I, what I saw wasn't really what applied to my life. What somebody else had seen is what helped God give me an application for my life. And then we ended with prayer. And we went on our way. It's not really hard to do. You can do it with your kids at night before you go to bed. Read a passage of scripture. Ask them what they see. Tell them what you see. How do we apply this to our lives? Let's pray. Doesn't take that long. It was one of the funnest times. Seeing God's word come to life, just sitting in somebody's living room, talking through stuff. Hearing different perspectives. So uh, perspectives are interesting for us as we look. I talked to you about when my father died. I talked to you about there with my kid. Both of those moments, I realized I was in a totally different place looking at the world at different angles. The first time when my father passed away, I went from being my dad's little kid, even though I was in my 40s. Still felt like I was his little boy, right? Big man now, but you know, whatever. When he passed away, I realized, oh crud, I'm it. It's on me. Then talking to my son and helping him to begin to see the world and shifting today, 55 years ago today, um, I saw the first light of day. 40 years ago today, I received my permit for driving and everyone's insurance went up. 39 years ago today, I got my driver's license. 37 years ago today, I can remember when I turned 18, my parents had me register to vote and sign, fill out my forms for selective service. I just found my selective service card. I'm too old now, they will not accept me. I've just passed, even to be a chaplain. They won't let me be a chaplain, I'm too old um, to be in, in the service. But I still have my card, I found it this week, clean it up. Six years ago today, I was installed as your pastor. And then, five months later, a tornado hit. And I can remember the board meeting after we had had the tornado hit and the staff had taken off. I'd called the staff and said, I don't know what we need to do, but I do know we need to go out and start helping in the community. And I remember them going, what do we do? I'm going, y'all are smart people, do it. I'm here with the electrical people and the town people, and so we've gotta be here, we've gotta have a presence on the campus, but we need to be out in the community. The last thing we need to do is for, for the NAS to be sitting on our hands, waiting on somebody to tell us what to do, get out and help people. And, the, and man, the, the MLT, the ministry leadership team here, they got up, they got out in the community, they got food to the fire stations and the police stations. Uh, they did clean up in the areas all around. It was awesome. And I remember sitting down with the board and they're going, man, we got going real quick on that. And I said, y'all have to realize, um, this is the sixth natural disaster I've been through. Um, I was in Miami when Hurricane Andrew hit and had to live through that. I was in um, Naples when Hurricane Charlie came through and then when Wilma hit uh, in the late 90s in Nashville when the tornado came through downtown Nashville and hit that church and it was on national news. I was a pastor at that church helping out on staff. Um, and then the flood that hit Nashville was a month before I moved up here. And um, so I've been through a lot of those things. And they said, you didn't tell us that when we interviewed you. You're like Jonah. We would not have had you be our pastor. What were we thinking? Um, perspective, right? Then we got to walk through the pandemic. 
the last couple years and watched as we thought, oh, our school is staying open, so we'll have more people that want their kids in school, the school will grow, but it didn't happen. Everyone was so fearful that the school declined a bit with, are we open, are we not open, are we wearing masks, what are we not doing, all those things, church numbers declined and our perspective shifted as we walked through all those things. Well, times have changed. I'm excited to tell you that over the last couple of years, the church itself has grown uh, by about 275 to 300 the last two years, each of the last two years. Uh, we're bouncing back, we're back where we need to be. Uh, as we look at some of the expansion and things I'll talk to you about in just a moment, we did all that while we rebuilt, or built, sorry, a uh, high school wing with band room and four other classrooms. We redid the lobby here in the church. Uh, we did all that through the pandemic and actually the school is at a place now where they've already filled all that up. They're growing. We're actually looking for more places to put classrooms this next year because enrollment is even higher. We don't know where we're gonna put everybody or if we can put everybody in the building. We're looking at what God's gonna do there here at the church as we look at what's happening. We're, we've already started doing a lot of the work for Rise Up and the things that are going on. So I'm gonna give you a real quick update on Rise Up. So those of you that are new, uh, just so you'll know, this next 18 months, there's some cool stuff gonna be happening on the campus. Uh, we set out to raise $3.8 million to, to do a lot of basic infrastructure things that have to happen so that the school and the sport athletic ministries here at the church and some of our outreach things can happen. So on the back, the backfield has been done. And over the next 18 months, there will be a few other things that begin to happen. There will be, uh, as soon as baseball season is done this year in May, the same thing will happen on our south field. You will notice the baseball field getting torn up. There'll be a new pond going in, all that kind of great stuff. And then over the summer, there'll be a road once school is out that stretches beyond the backside of the, where the playground is now. The playground will move inside that to keep our kids safer from all the cars driving around and stuff. Uh, there'll be a new shelter house that happens in the spring, winter of 2025. And then uh, all of that stuff will be completed about May. And then in June, we pay off the, what was a $12 million mortgage of the church will be paid off. So by the time we get to June of 2025, all that stuff should be done. Yeah, that's awesome news. That's great news. So, so we're trying to raise, I told you, we're trying to raise 3.8 million. So as we raised the money, we raised about, in pledges, about two and a half million. Let me get back here and read this. It's not gonna be up on the screen, but you'll hear it. We raised, uh, pledged, two and a half million dollars. So far of that two and a half million, 722,000 or 29% of it has already been given. We're now starting our 18 months of when we're raising all this money. Uh, so we have about 1.8 million of outstanding pledges, but here's the great news. Uh, on top of that, uh, we have $300,000 that has come in that wasn't pledged on top of that. So, so far, we have over a million dollars that has come in that help us pay for what's already been done on the back, that's helped us get this stuff ready so that in May, we will actually begin all this great stuff that's going on. So, if you're at doing all the math, you're going, okay, if I'm adding all that up, we're still about $1 million short. Well, that's what I thought, too, until Wednesday night. And on Wednesday night, in our children's ministry at Naz Kids Elementary, one of our young men brought this to Pastor Brittany. Show him that picture. That's a $1 million bill <laughs> that he brought and said to Pastor Brittany, can I put this toward Rise Up? And we said, yes, we will take that for Rise Up. So y'all have to make up that other million because he thinks he's really giving it, okay? So I'm just teasing with y'all. But he did bring a million dollars, um, a million dollar bill. And all about the Benjamins right there. Okay, you can go ahead and take that picture down, guys. Now, as we look at that, you may recall, those of you that were here, back in November, 
when we began talking about this through October and got to the end, what we said was, all of these buildings are great. And all these things need to happen so that the school can continue to disciple and train young people and help them come to know Christ better. So that through Upward and through our sports ministries and men's ministries and things here at the church, people can come to know Christ. That through our Young at Heart ministry, in the back there, uh, that shelter house, we can continue to have gatherings and people from the community can come. All of those things are great buildings, but all of those things will have people gathered in them. Yesterday, I got to... um, referee upward. Uh, They don't let me coach anymore, I referee. And as um, the fates fates would have it, I don't think it was God, I think it was the fates, Um, I I got to um, referee first and second grade boys basketball, which is fun and hilarious, and then the third and fourth grade girls basketball. And the third and fourth, fourth grade girls basketball team, I got to um, referee, the Baker brothers were coaching, and they are some of the most intense guys. They play college basketball, um, awesome, great coaches. Um, but they used to referee when I was a coach. And I was not a nice coach. I yelled. I know you don't believe this of me, but I did. Um, and I, I think that Pastor John purposefully put me with the Bakers. They were like, we want Pastor Dale reffing our game so we can yell at him. But they didn't. They were the most Christ-like, loving people toward me. I went over and thanked them and hugged them and said, thank you for not being as mean to me as I was to you uh, when, we, when we did basketball. Why do I still referee basketball? Because the kids are out on the floor. One of the funnest things is seeing the kids come up uh, that don't know that I'm a pastor, that see me in town. You're that referee dude that's goofy, because I am. I always call their team the wrong name, call them the wrong name. It's fun. Why? So that later on when those kids have things going on in their lives, they've got somebody they can talk to. See, it's about relationships, not about basketball. Basketball is a tool for relationship. Buildings are tools for relationship. My perspective on the whole world is about relationships. We give up things we love for people we love more. That's right. We give up things we love for people we love more. Somehow worried about us raising the extra money for the, for the stuff. No, I'm not, because we love people enough, we're gonna make that happen. One way or another, all that's gonna happen. Uh, you've risen up in prayer this last year. You've prayed that God would give us vision, he has. You've risen up in generosity this year, and God has done great things. You've risen up now in action. This is what I wanna talk to you about now as we move on. Um, I've got about five minutes, so I'm gonna give you these four things that we're talking about in the life of our church um, that are extremely important to our vision. The first one is we talk about marriage and marriage mentors and marriage ministry. Here in Grove City, the divorce rate is higher than the national average. If you put a dot here in Grove City and go five miles around, our divorce rate is higher than the national average. We wanna see that change, we wanna see that shift. We wanna see that become different. Um, we joke, there's jokes about marriage. I had a few jokes I was gonna share. They weren't that funny, so I'm not. But I know as we talk about marriage, I joked a little bit earlier about God putting us together with people that see very differently than us. And all of you just about laughed, except for the ones that maybe it's too painful to laugh right now. And while we'll all admit it and we know it's true when we say, hey, there's a marriage course going on. People are like, I don't need that, I don't need that. This is just the way life is. It's not true. Life can be better. Um, I have a wonderful wife. I feel sorry for the rest of you all, but I have a wonderful wife. The rest of you need to go to marriage counseling. 
I'm joking. Melissa and I still read marriage books. Melissa and I uh, went to premarital counseling, even though we're in our 50s. We had a woman by the name of Joy who walked us through six sessions of premarital counseling uh, to help us understand what it means to relate to each other. Why? Because we're human beings and we need that. This Wednesday night, the marriage course starts here at the NAS. There's a table in the back. You can sign up to come be a part of that. If you don't want to be in public with a bunch of other people, realize that most everybody going in there, it's not that their marriage is perfect. It's not that their lives are so screwed up. They're normal, okay, just like you. So go be a part of that. If you'd rather just talk with one couple and you've got some stuff you need to work through, we have marriage mentors at the church. Just email info at thenaz.church and say, we're looking for a marriage mentor. My, my spouse and I, my wife and I, my husband and I, and we'll hook you up with someone that can walk alongside you. And basically all those people do is they take some of the information from the marriage course, they take stuff from their own life and they share life with you and they pray with you and they help you walk through those things. What's been the most exciting for me is to watch the success of what's been beginning to happen in the lives of people who were brave enough to say, we're gonna ask for a marriage mentor. And they're coming back and saying, man, our marriage is on the right trajectory now. We're not where we need to be. I don't know that anybody that has said, oh, everything's solved. We're all great. They're all going, it's not where it needs to be, but we have hope and we're headed in the right direction. If we want to see things shift out in our community, we need to start here and then take that out where they are. Okay, next thing, fun one, drug problem. This is always a difficult one for me. I did not have a, well, I had a drug problem growing up. My parents drugged me to church three times a week and all the time. That was the extent of my drug problem. My dad was a DEA agent. So as a kid, that means Drug Enforcement Administration. <laughs> so I remember putting together these, these big slide things. You would put little slides in and click and go to the next one and go to the next one. How many of y'all remember those? I'm dating myself. I would put those slideshows together and the ones that my dad did we're like, remember when you did D.A.R.E. at school when you were little? You know, D.A.R.E. to keep kids off drugs? This was D.A.R.E. for adults. And I'm not joking. It was for adults to learn the dangers of drugs. So it had pictures of people violently dead and all kinds of things. And my father let me put those together. It was exciting. Um, these are the dangers of drugs. And so I just, I didn't do them. Now I get to see the dangers of drugs firsthand because the epidemic has spread. And if you put a dot at Grove City Church the Nazarene and go five miles around, there's a higher addiction to opioids, to drugs, to alcohol in our area than anywhere else. So on Thursday nights, there's Alcoholics Anonymous meets here, right in the choir room. Every Thursday night, seven o'clock, feel free to come. There are people here who need help. If you have a friend you can call, call them. I received a call this week from Naples, Florida from someone saying, hey, do you remember so-and-so? They were a teenager when I was a pastor down there. They lived up here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. And they said they're struggling. Uh, they're dealing with addiction. Could you talk to them? We know you were close to them, so I ended up getting a hold of them. They're down in Boynton Beach, Florida, as of today, just that quick, uh, at a drug rehab place. Why? Because they needed somebody to reach out to, and they reached out to somebody who reached out to somebody, and it's all about the relationship. You have friends in this town. This guy, if you would have seen him, he doesn't look like drug addicts with, you know, they're getting their mug shots taken with sores. He looked like one of us, perfectly normal. He only, he only had struggles when he went home and broke down. But out in public, everything was great. Everything looked good. Are you building close enough relationship with your friends, with those around you that you really know what's going on in their life? Do you care enough about them? To care? Are, you, are you making your resolutions this year? 
to revolve around people rather than just around your stuff and things you want to shift. Uh, worry and anxiety. Uh, here, depression and anxiety in our zip code is worse than normal. Uh, we started a thing here called Care and Compassion Ministry. It's part of Mental Health First Aid. There's a phone number you can call. You can get help. Um, there's numbers of them uh, hopping up there. Uh, 1-800-662-HELP, 1-800-273-TALK. Uh, the Mental Health First Aid number, you can call 988. All of those numbers, all of those things are going on. We have a ton of people who've been trained, who are prepared, and guess what? Not many people are calling those numbers. Nationally, not many people are calling those numbers because they're finding out a lot of times while people sometimes are embarrassed of what's going on, what they really need is a friend who's gonna talk to them, who's gonna love them despite what they're going through, and who's gonna walk through those issues with them. Many of the issues that people are struggling with are because of social isolation, because of a lack of relationship. Do you hear how why my, my, my view of ontology, my view of the world, of how things are, of why we exist about being has to do with relationship? Each of these things that we're struggling with deal with relationship. A lot of people aren't gonna come to this place, but if you're out in the world working with them, if you're in their neighborhood sharing with them, if you're playing sports with them, and you become their friend, they begin to open up, and we can begin to make a difference and begin to change things. Um, how many of y'all remember this? Um, closing time. Every new beginning comes from some other beginnings, and you know that? Okay, now we can see who all goes to the bars. Uh, it's a closing time song. Just kidding, just kidding. So I know many of y'all think that's a great song by Semisonic. Uh, you don't realize that Lucius Aeneas Seneca, he's the first one that said that. They're just quoting this great philosopher. Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Jesus said it this way. Unless a grain of wheat falls and dies and falls to the ground, it won't produce a crop. The same thing's true in our lives, believers. Those of you that are Christians, I'm gonna talk to those of you that already know God, that are already following him. For us, that death to self, that giving up something I love for people I love more means there may be a little bit of death that needs to happen and take place in our life for someone else to be able to draw closer to Christ. In case I haven't made my point well enough yet, let's go back to all these stupid stories I told you earlier. They're not stupid because they're from the Bible. But with Elisha and his servant, what God was wanting to show was not just, oh, look at this cool miracle I can do. I've got armies surrounding you. God was showing, I care about the city of Dothan. I care about the nation of Israel. I care about Elisha and his servant. And I'm gonna enter into that because I love those people. That the miracle of wedding was, was Jesus just trying to do something really cool so the servants could go, wow, this guy's awesome. Was Jesus trying to impress the master of ceremonies at this thing? Or was he trying to save face for the young bride and groom and their families who would have been embarrassed? I don't know. But I know the miracle wasn't just so Jesus could show off. It had to do with the people that were sitting there. All of these miracles that Jesus do have to do with people. Jesus talking to the woman at the well and sharing with her about things that no one else could have known was not just to be, ooh, this is really cool and impressive. It was so that she could be rejoined in relationship with a God that she had distanced herself from. The little boy and his fish was not just for that little boy, it was not just for the 12 disciples to pick up all the basketfuls, but it was for all the people. The story starts out with Jesus saying, he looked at the people who had come out, he had compassion on them and says to the disciples, hey, uh, feed them. It starts with Jesus looking at the people. 
seeing the need and reaching out to meet the need. So for you and me, every one of these stories has a why behind it, and the why behind all of these stories is relationship. So what is the story that God wants to live in and through you this year? What are the relationships that he wants to shift? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes real quick. Father, as we leave this place today, uh, some of us have come in and we've made all kinds of New Year's resolutions about how we're gonna shift, how we're gonna change, how we're gonna be better. Uh, but Lord, we've, we've yet to take the time to ask you how you want to use us this next year so that others can be changed. God, I pray that as we look at all the great things that are gonna happen through Rise Up, the new buildings that happen, the, the baseball fields, the great places where we can bring our kids and we ourselves can, can have all kinds of awesome things that go on. God, that you would change our perspective. That all these things aren't just for us. The Lord, like, like dear children, you want to you take us and bring us and set us up on your lap and point us out toward the world that you love. Do you want to give us your heart for the world that you love? God, I pray that right now you would begin to put in our heads and in our hearts people that are right around us that need to know that love. There might be some, Lord, that are, that are in here right now that they came to church this first Sunday of the year. They've got perfect attendance this year because they're looking for an answer to the hopelessness that they have in life. They may be struggling with the very things that we've talked about, struggles in their marriage, struggles with addiction, struggles with depression or anxiety or, or struggles with purpose. God, I pray that right now you would meet them right where they are. Those of you who are in here right now, if that's you, I'm gonna pray and just give you a moment to pray and just, you don't have to say exactly what I'm saying, but just say out to God, God, I, I need you in my life. Thank you for loving me enough to send your son to die for my sins, to make me the person you created me to be. Father, forgive me for trying to do things on my own. I, I need you in my life. Help me, Lord, to live in relationship with you, to understand your love for me, to understand what you want to do in and through me. But God, most of all, thank you for your forgiveness, thank you for your grace, and thank you for your love. I accept it in Christ's name. There may be others of us in here who God is saying to you, hey, look, the fields are ripe. They're ready for harvest. But Lord, you're not sending us out just to pick wheat. You're sending us out to make relationship. So open our eyes, Lord, to those who sit in the cubicles near us, those who work down the line from us, those who are in the same warehouse with us, those who are on the same nursing floor with us, those who are in the same hospital with us as we work. Lord, wherever we work, wherever we go, those who are just down from us a few lockers at school, those who we sit beside in class, God, open our eyes to see that you want relationship with them so much that you're willing to use us and work through us to draw them to you. God, help us to see, open our eyes to see. And God, as we continue to go back and look at our resolutions and maybe 
adjust and fix some things. You'd help us to understand, Lord, that one of the ways that we can grow the best is by saying, I'm gonna love you, God, more this year than I ever have before. Teach me to love you, teach me to know you, and God, I wanna love other people. So love through me the way you want to love through me. Help me to find that place to serve. Help me to find that place to begin to help others. God, I don't know how, help me to know. All these things, Father, we ask and we pray in Christ's name, amen. Pastor John's gonna come up here and close us out, but before we go, uh, beginning on January the 28th, January the 28th, write it down, between services at 10.30 for about six or seven weeks, Tom Belleville is leading a course on relational evangelism and discipleship. The reason is every ministry that we do is involved in relationship. Every person that you talk to about Christ, every person that quite often we wanna argue with or do things with, uh, sometimes we approach it a little wrong and some of us get scared and we're going, I don't know how to share my faith with people. I don't know how to help people grow. Uh, this, this group that's getting together is specifically for that. Uh, go in any week you want to and keep working through. Tom would be happy to see you at starting uh, January the 28th and you'll begin to see more information about that. But no matter what ministry in you're in, we can all learn how to be better relationally with others. Make that one of your New Year's resolutions. God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Stay connected with us at the naz.church.